uh, before we get into our many rambles and tangents, welcome again to another Psycho cast. We've got the... I won't put an adjective at the beginning because I'm infamous? never good at it. Infamous. <laughs> the infamous court psyops. Infamous? What does that mean? Infamous. Oh, Dusty. Infamous is, is when you're more than famous. This man is not just famous. He's infamous. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make references to uh, <laughs> Three Amigos for no reason because that's who I am. Hey. I'm sure if we thought about it, we could come up with some parallels between the Three Amigos and the 2008 Coen Brothers movie, Burn After Reading. It's filled with bumbling idiots who mistook everything that they were reading. (laughs) Yes. Yep. And somehow come out the other side victorious. Well, with a lot of dead people, but yeah, (laughs) in both sides. Yeah, yeah, both movies have, uh, uh, Three Amigos definitely has a higher body count and 100% times more deaths of Invisible Swords people. (laughs) Considering that it has 100% more Invisible Swords people to begin with. That's true. But that's not how you use statistics to prove your point. You know, I read once that 70% of the people out there will believe anything you say if you put it in a statistical form. See, that's how you use statistics, people. 60% of the time, it works, works every, every time. time. <laughs> it's a pungent sense that stings the nostrils. I'm sure this wasn't your first viewing of Burn After Reading. Uh, it is probably my second. I've only ever really watched it once before this. Oh, okay. spoil- spoiler alert, the first time I watched it, kind of disappointed in it. Okay. I guess we'll see... If you were less or more pointed with it this time. And since, yeah. <laughs> were you appointed with it this time or were you disappointed with it this time? Oh, you wordsmith, you. But since we have no structure here at the Psycho Semantic cast, I guess we should probably get that out of the way. Did you like it more or less this time? Um, I actually enjoyed it a lot more this time. I went in kind of knowing what I was going to expect as far as what type of movie I was going to see. And Brad Pitt angers me significantly less these days than what he did the first time I watched it, which was shortly after it hit video when it came out. (laughs) For good or ill, that part was written specifically for him. (laughs) Well, he he plays dumb real well. Don't think he's playing. Yeah, as Chad. He, what is it with guys named Chad? He's 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 like the epitome of guys named Chad in this movie. Although he and I know he's maybe the most good. He's he's a reprehensible person still, but I've known most Chads. And I'm sorry to any Chads out there that are listening to the show, because that automatically makes you a little bit cooler. I think in my eyes, I have never met a Chad that wasn't a dick. The only one that I know of is not even from personal experience. It's uh, Bo's friend, Chad, that he does the pick six movies with. And from what I can tell, just gauging on how his actions and reactions are to things on the show, he breaks that mold. But yeah, every, every it's something about guys named Chad. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I'll have to meet him one day and break that streak. To kick off this movie, We what's the proper word? Zoom in? Or when it comes from straight above, does it have a different name? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a zoom, but it's it's an artificial thing that they're doing. They use something similar to that in the burbs where they start from 
out of planet Earth and bring you into this world, which is sort of like our world, but ever so slightly different. Or at least I hope so, because if our government agents were as incompetent as all the shit you see in this movie, then we're all doomed regardless of who's in charge. <laughs> Although J.K. Simmons seems to be on top of shit, but he doesn't pay attention until everything's over. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it, it kind of zooms in or it drops in. Is it the Pentagon or where Where does it end up? What building is it at? I didn't pay attention to that. It just says CIA headquarters. I'm not exactly sure where in D.C. that is. Is that Langley? Is that what the uh, D.C. headquarters are? I thought Langley was FBI related. Oh, I, I know enough about my government agencies to know what to avoid, like the letters. And if I, see, if I see weird, mysterious vans that have been delivering flowers across the street from my house, I need to stop talking on the internet for a little while. You're going to take your sex wedge and your gold chain and go home like George Clooney does? <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah, something like that. But that opening scene is uh, pretty intense. <laughs> John Malkovich is terrifying. With all due respect, what the fuck? He is. And each role was written for each person that played it, except for the Tilda Swinton part. That explains why uh, George Clooney's character is uh, such a, uh, how do I put it? Sex addict. Because that's yeah. for him, too. Yep. A bombastic <laughs> sex addict. Addict. Sex addict. A bombastic sex addict is probably a fun place. Um, it's, it's something I'm trying to install in my own house here as a bombastic sex addict. $100 minus my labor. <laughs> and of course the Christ, the cost of the dildo there I don't have the ability to uh, cast silicone <laughs> I'd like to uh, no, I'm not set up to do it <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck man yeah so speaking of drinking problems they're fire quitting John Malkovich no discussion just you're out well we're having the discussion now Osborne Osborne Cox why so uptight Osborne Cox <laughs> once again i don't think brad pitt's acting there i think that's just how he wants to deliver the lines and he thinks that's acting that's what was agreed upon osborne cox this movie i i'm a i'm a coen brothers fan uh i i couldn't say i've seen all of their stuff i'm definitely a fan of the coen films it's just that some of them i'm not as big a fan as what other people are i'm not like super obsessed with them i'm not one of those people that's going to follow their career and i'm going to be like oh look coen brothers are making yet another film you know i need to go see that one right now but for me when they hit they hit huge and their movies are really really good and they're super quotable and i'm obsessed with them and i i can't stop you know no matter what i just can't stop like the films that i love like big lebowski raising arizona that kind of stuff Fucking Fargo. I've probably seen Fargo more times than I even want to admit. <laughs> like, yeah. I really love Fargo. There's, like, some of their movies, though, like, just really miss for me. But the ones that hit, like like I said, they hit really strong. I mean, their debut film, like, uh, Blood Simple, would have been probably... That was definitely their first film that, that they did. Um, and I, that's, like, uh, around 84 or so. And that's around the time that Sam Raimi and them hooked up. And then... I know they worked with Sam on Crime Wave, but I don't think that got released until after Blood Simple did. So they were kind of doing their thing with Blood Simple while they were working on that Crime Wave movie with Sam Raimi. And I think they even, one of them edited Evil Dead 2, I think. I can't remember which one, but... 
Yeah, one um, of them helped. Yeah, so I mean, Blood Simple's probably the strongest debut film you're ever gonna get from anybody. And Raising Arizona is one of those films where I watch it every couple of years now, but when I was a kid, I probably watched it every few hours on HBO and still never got sick of it. You know, it was such a huge film. I never really watched Miller's Crossing, although I probably should go back and see that because I know that's supposed to be a really good one of theirs. Wasn't a big fan of Barton Fink. Um, kind of liked parts of the Hudsucker Proxy and those parts pretty much featured Bruce Campbell. And then obviously Fargo, huge fan of that. Big Lebowski, huge fan of that as well. Both of those films I was really obsessed with. A lot of people dug uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And I'm not, I'm just kind of going in order here from the list of the movies. And that one I'm not a huge fan of, but I can always watch it. Like if it's on cable, I won't turn it off, but it's not one that I actively seek out to watch. I'm a fan. Did they do, did they both do The Man Who Wasn't There or did just one of them? I think that was one that they both did. Yeah, that's the problem is when they work together, like if they ever work separately, you just never know. They both wrote and looks like they might have written it, but I don't think they might have directed it. I'm not sure. And they did the the Lady Killers too, which I was not a fan of at all. Is that the Tom Hanks? Yeah, it's like a remake. It's like their first try at a remake of like the guys that are trying to rob a place by digging a tunnel from this lady's basement. Ah, uh, yeah, I think I watched half of that maybe. Yeah, it was okay. It, it wasn't that great. And it's one of those things where you watch it and then you kind of like, well, that was a thing that I saw and I don't need to see it again. <laughs> but uh, the thing that renewed my love for them was their uh, adaptation of No Country for Old Men. That film rocked my world. That was just really incredible and really well done. And I've probably watched that more times than I'd like to talk about, too. <laughs> I've probably seen Fargo and No Country for Old Men within the last month. Just happened so, to watch, you know, or popped on while I'm editing or something like that. Yeah. Now, see, there's coming off of No Country for Old Men and going directly to Burn After Reading. Really, you can kind of see where I was like, wow, this is a letdown to me. Because, I mean, for me, No Country for Old Men was so big and so well done and just so amazing. And then they go right into doing this, you know, Burn After Reading. And this is more kind of a, I don't want to say step back, but it's, it has parts of it that feel like they're trying to make another Fargo, but they want to do sort of like a government conspiracy slash showing how bureaucracy is so fucked up and stupid version of Fargo, if you will, you know? Instead of criminals, it's a bunch of people doing stupid stuff and trying to dox a guy with his memoirs. <laughs> Your what? <laughs> Why would anyone think that that was valuable? <laughs> Yeah, right. Nothing in this makes any sense at all. It takes it takes a little bit to kind of get everything that's going on. Like, I guess that's probably what my big problem was. Like, I didn't really get that right off the bat that the thing that they actually had, all these numbers and all the things that they were misinterpreting was they had memoirs or portions of them that the wife apparently mistakenly copied over along with all the financial records she was trying to get so that she could basically drain the accounts and, you know, really fuck her husband over in the divorce. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, well, if she didn't leave that at the gym and he didn't leave that at the gym, then who did? You know, and then like you realize it later on that it's her attorney's, uh, what, secretary or assistant or whatever that does it? Yeah. Like she left the burn CD and that's how that ended up at the gym in Hard Bodies. And Brad Pitt being the idiot that he is, he completely thinks he knows something that he doesn't. I mean, his character, although in real life, that's probably true as well. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll call him <laughs> Chad Pitt. 
There Chad we go. Pitt, yeah. Chad Pitt. <laughs> Raw intelligence. There's numbers and, and codes and letters and numbers and codes and dates and numbers and dates and numbers and dates. It's like, dude, that's a you're describing a bank account, idiot. <laughs> I thought you might be concerned about your shit. <laughs> your shit is secure. And I think one nine hundred numbers that would tell me that stuff. <laughs> I think John Malkovich says ninety percent of the fucks in this movie. What the fuck is this? I'm a great okay. fucking Ozzy. Hello, it's Osborne Cox. Who the fuck are you, fucking moron? Don't blow a grass. It's not important Way where. Over your fucking head. I don't know who the fuck you are, but who the fuck is this? Give me the fucking floppy or whatever the fuck it is. Give it to me. Fuck. You know who you are, fucker. Fucking fuck. Fucking lunatic. Fucking moron. Why the fuck? Why the fuck? Fuck! Fuck! You fuckers, I'm back. Fuckers. What the fuck? The entire day sitting around trying to memorize the fucking numbers to my fucking bank accounts! Moron! My whole fucking life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you two clowns. But yeah, this movie's super quotable. I always liked it because it's got that Washington, D.C government thing going on i've always had a soft spot for those movies it definitely is a lot more claustrophobic i guess well because no country for old men is so big uh, so expanded you know at least two countries and a higher body count well that's it's an adaptation so it doesn't have their humor it doesn't have any of their flair to it and it's a relatively faithful adaptation as well i mean they always change things a little bit but um, No Country for Old Men being what it is. I mean, we're talking Cormac McCarthy here. So you suck out all the humor and gentle nature of any human being. And they're a Cormac McCarthy character. <laughs> everything is just like grit and grime and just nasty. Or someone trying to survive against grit and grime and nasty. And they fail miserably at it. And there's never a happy ending. Like if you wanted to be depressed for weeks on end read a cormac mccarthy novel did he write the road <laughs> yes okay yeah of course he wrote the road yeah that that reading that novel wrecked me for months after i read it like i just could not stopping could not stop thinking about it for months <laughs> yeah i watched the movie maybe a month before my son was born and yeah i i, I was fucked up for a bit yeah, you probably like were hugging Vice's stomach, just like talking to your kid, going, "I'm not gonna let this happen to you. I'm not gonna let this happen to you. We won't be locked in the basement with the cannibals. <laughs> You're not gonna have to push a shopping cart in order to survive. We're right? not gonna do this. <laughs> now let's watch The Mist and Pet Cemetery and. <laughs> that could be like a whole string of bad parenting movies. Yeah, The Shining. Oh, yeah, that's another one, yeah. <laughs> Although one of these days, since uh, we call him Danny for short sometimes, I do need to chase him through a hedge maze. <laughs> Danny! Yeah, but he's not going to think you're trying to threaten him. He's just going to have fun being chased. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. He likes being chased. <laughs> well, what kid doesn't? 
me when I was a kid. I hated being chased because that meant I had to run, and I don't like to move. <laughs> um, speaking of Fargo and this movie, did you notice any nods? Uh, aside from it's a Coen Brothers movie and Francis McDermott is in it. I didn't pick up on anything. I don't know if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it or not. So if you notice something, you you go ahead and tell me, and then I'll be amazed. I don't know. I I should probably look it up to see if it's it's really real. But I think when Osborne Cox chases the manager out of the apartment with a hatchet, I think that's the same movements and angles as uh, the death of Steve Buscemi. Well, there is a guy in a robe that's doing that with a hatchet type thing. So I could kind of see that. Uh, that might be, I don't know if that's intentional where they're referencing themselves or if it's just they know that that would work. So they did that sequence again. The only other thing I saw and that it was only near the end, Francis McDermott, who is one of the Coen brothers wives. I didn't know. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah. Um, Darkman. I think they worked on Darkman with the, they're really entwined with Raimi and his crew with the Renaissance picture people. Um, yeah. And I think, cause she was in dark man, she was uh, dark man's love interest. And I think that's where they met. And I think they fell in love on that film maybe. Or was it, or was it, uh, no, was she, she was actually in, it might've been in blood simple then, because I think she was in blood simple as well. And she was also in uh, raising Arizona. So maybe it was there. <laughs> yeah. I've been working with her for a very long time. So who knows when they actually fell in love and got married. Uh, well, I guess related to this movie, which is why we pick a movie so we can have tangents. A skeletal framework to hang the tangents on. Yeah. Um, it was announced this week of recording that Trump has ordered the declassification of a lot of documents related to the Russian investigation. He doesn't know what was in the documents. He just did it because people on TV were saying that he should. And He's also doing it because a lot of the people that are saying that he should do it have seen the documents and know that there's stuff in there that the Republicans like his little lapdog Nunes can use to try and frame a narrative pushing the idea that a lifelong Republican and decorated war hero like Mueller is a Democrat working partisan politics with the deep state to take him out. The deep state like the CIA that we see in this film is completely incompetent. Yeah, Cucker Tarlson or Tucker Carlson. That was almost like an alt-right slip-up. Cuckold Tarlson. If he ever stops doing all his white nationalist propaganda, they'll turn on him. But for now, he's safe. <laughs> With his new fucking tie. Didn't he used to wear a bow tie all the time? And then he tried I to... Yeah. I believe so, yeah. But I think someone told him that Louis Farrakhan used to wear a bow tie, so he stopped doing that. <laughs> I don't want to be equated with that, he says as he pulls the bow tie off. He got such a dressing down from Jon Stewart that he had to reinvent himself. <laughs> he got so dressed down from Jon Stewart that he, he was stripped of his bow tie from the white nationalist. He's not allowed to wear the bow tie. They rip he it off. Turn him. it back. <laughs> Do you enjoy wasting my time? Get out of my office and take that ridiculous thing off. No, actually, from watching Burn, Burn After Reading again the second time and really kind of paying attention to it and giving it a chance and not letting my righteous hatred for <laughs> Brad Pitt get in the way. Chad Pitt. Uh, Chad Pitt. Chad, the character Chad in there, get in the way. There's a lot of stuff actually kind of to, to dig into that's actually pretty 
Well, kind of touchstone for today. Uh, I want to use the word prescient, but I don't know if that's correct because I'm not looking it up and I like to use words that I don't know what they mean sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it fits in it fits in our modern climate because you have this woman who is feeling pressure that should be from outside, essentially, but it's mostly her pushing on herself. It even that's the first time we're introduced to Francis McDormand's character is she's at the plastic surgeon and he's going over her body. He's taking measurements. He's kind of pushing on her arms and just basically showing what happens to someone's body when they get older, regardless of how fit they are, because I would not in any way, shape or form say that there's anything wrong with her body. She's like, what in her sixties in this movie, maybe like, I can't really tell. And I'm, I, I don't mean to be disparaging and try and prematurely age her, but I'm just like saying at the worst, like, let's say she's possibly in her late fifties she's still unbelievably fit for that age and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the body that they're showing there it's a normal body you know and obviously Frances McDermott as an actress has no problem with how she looks she's perfectly comfortable in her own skin but they're kind of showing this culture that forces women to believe that they need to look and be a certain way and she's got what like five plastic surgery procedures that she's going to undergo just to try and procure a man yeah. <laughs> essentially yeah four or five yeah because i mean they're talking like tummy tuck they're gonna leave the the guy says something about leaving the thighs and buttocks alone because that will still respond to exercise at her age and then the arms they have to tone up the arms and remove some of the fat that's stored there so they're doing arm surgery tummy tucks um breast augmentation so that's arms tummy tuck breast augmentation that's three and then there's the crow's feet one so that's four and then there was another one that they were going to do that they mentioned i can't remember what it was exactly but i think it has to do with the abdomen as well but something along those lines so like let's say there's four or five that, that they actually are scheduling doing and like each of them i'm like what what are you talking about <laughs> you know yeah. and obviously the, the doctor's trying to upsell her anyway so he's not going to say no you don't need to do this yeah, I was surprised to... that he said that the one thing could be done with exercise. Yeah, no kidding. You wouldn't think that uh, the doctor would do that, but I guess, you know, maybe he just didn't want to get in that close to, you know, hip and tuck at her butt. I don't know. Yeah, you never know with that guy. Frances McDermott herself was born in 1967. So she was in her mid-50s in this movie. I'm not sure. I don't think they ever say the age of her character, though. Okay, well... That's right about what I was saying. I said maybe 60. So that, that seems about right. And I'll tell you what, for being in her mid-50s, even in that sequence when they're showing everything that is supposed to be a flaw in the eyes of beauty culture, she still looks really fucking good. I don't get the, I don't get the debate on that. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. I'm not going to debate. But the fact that she's going through all of this and so desperate just to kind of have a relationship but it's superficial on her side because she's judging every man on her profile that she's looking at based solely on how they look and then one or two lines in the profile she never even bothers to meet them when she does give them the time of day it just turns out they're a married man looking to cheat anyway i don't know what that says but apparently that's a thing <laughs> yeah everybody is fucking someone else in this movie yeah infidelity is probably a bigger key point on burn after reading than the actual government stuff it really kind of the government issues and the the agencies take a serious backseat to what i would basically refer to as uh daytime soap opera type stuff well i guess 
the world is fucking Osborne Cox. But <laughs> George Clooney, whatever Ferrar, or however you say it, he and Tilda Swinton are having an affair. And his wife, Clooney's wife, seems to be having an affair with whoever she's hanging out with in Seattle later. And Clooney is fucking everybody. I think he picks up... Do you get the feeling that the wife actually figured out what was going on at the cocktail party and that her first actual moment of cheating was when she was in Seattle with that guy? Or do you think she's been cheating the entire time? I think it, with the little bit that you have the her character in there, I think regardless of when she started being with that guy or another guy before that guy or whatever, I have the feeling that it was after she found out about Clooney. Yeah, he's not very good at hiding it. I mean, the cocktail party, it was really fucking obvious. No hostess invites someone that's supposed to be a guest into the kitchen to help them. That was obvious right off the bat. And even the other guests at the cocktail party were like, what the fuck's up with that, Tilda Swinton? Uh, everybody's really uncomfortable. When we are introduced to Chekhov's gun... <laughs> Yeah, he's had his gun for how long? He carries it all the time, and in 20 years of service at the Marshals, he never discharged it once. Yep. And then later on in, what, the date, when he's on a date with Francis McDermott, let's live dangerously, you don't always have to use condoms, right, uh, conversation, he also says, when you get in that situation, you don't think, you just do it. It's all in the reflexes. Yeah, they do set it up there, too. Uh, his big gun and him, his sniping back and forth with uh, Malkovich was a nice, I like that scene. Do you think that that hostility between the two of them has to do with them working together in some way, shape or form? Or do you think Malkovich knows that he's fucking his wife at that point, but he's such a drunk bastard and he's so defeatist he doesn't care? I I think Malkovich's character is shitty and pompous to everyone in in the movie. He's yelling at the woman at the bank. He, well, I guess he's got his buddies at the club and whatnot, but everybody he talks to, he's yelling at. Hello, it's Osborne Cox. Who the fuck are you, fucking moron? But there does, yeah, there does seem to be a deeper hostility, but he, he likes to correct your mistakes, I guess. He's that kind of character. I wonder if George Clooney started, George Clooney's character started fucking his wife because he was at a cocktail party similar to this. They had mutual friends, and essentially what happened, he talked down to him, he gave him shit, and then Clooney just was like, oh yeah, well, I'll show you, and then started tapping Tilda Swinton, and just kind of was like, well, this is something I can keep on the regular for sure I know can happen. Before I go for my run, I'll, you know, take a run on her. Pull over, we'll do it in the back. <laughs> that wasn't an euphemism for, you know, back door. That was just, <laughs> you know, bend in the back seat, regular sex, or whatever he says. You're so coarse. <laughs> and you know tilda swinton's character is not exactly 100 percent non-abrasive in this either like literally everything she says and does in this film that character is just browbeating everybody from like sun up to sundown yeah <laughs> and i i kind of wonder too like is john melkovich's character actually an alcoholic because we don't really get that established until after he's been fired and who wouldn't day drink after losing their lifelong career this is an assault I have a drinking problem? Fuck you, Peck, you're a Mormon. Ozzy. Next to you, we all have a drinking problem. 
What the fuck is this? Whose ass didn't I kiss? Huh? Let's be honest. Okay. Um, I mean, let listen. us be fucking honest. This is a crucifixion. This is political. And don't tell me it's not. I mean, he says he quit, but it's the same thing in Washington when everybody's being demoted and they're being treated like shit. And when they could stay for however long it takes for them to get their pension, the shame of it all makes them resign. You know, that's kind of how it's done. And we've seen that a million times in the Trump White House. Jesus, the revolving door. Uh, what is it? 50 high-ranking positions? I don't even I know anymore. Yeah, it's it's too far numerous to enumerate. <laughs> well, I mean, shit, 10 of them have been indicted, so add that. The most successful witch hunt to find actual witches since the Crusades, man. <laughs> <laughs> or the Inquisition. <laughs> Probably more real witches than that. <laughs> Speaking of reading, have you been reading that fear book? The Did you start it yet? I pre-ordered it um, with the Audible account and basically polished it off in about a day and a half of working because I listen to audiobooks while I code. For some reason, I code better when I'm distracted and I'm not thinking about it too directly. It took me a while to convince my boss that that actually is the case, that I'm not screwing off. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually better at what I do when I don't think about it too hard and I just kind of like get into a flow of things. But uh, I listened to that book in those two days and it doesn't feel any different than what you would have gotten from the Michael Wolf book that was done before this, um, which what it, what it ends up doing is between the Michael Wolf book, which I did listen to and the Omarosa, uh, tell all like uh, tabloid journalist version of those two books. What it ends up doing is giving context to them and other accounts and like another side of it and then it's written way more eloquently and basically it sort of verifies the stuff. I mean, it's one of those things where you can't keep saying there's no fire when there's all of this smoke and it's all the same color and it's all clearly coming from different ends of the same building. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I think that this book actually does, and I think it's probably because I would say Woodward is uh, the kind of person not to be too sensationalistic about what he does. And he's also a very dry writer. Yeah. I mean, he's very, he's very factual. He's very just like stick to what I know and what I can confirm. So there's nothing really, he's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. He's really old school journalist. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like reading old school microfiche newspapers and shit like that, that you might have to do. Well, it's not night microfiche now, but it's like reading old articles online or anything like that. He's very old school with his writing. So like it's, it doesn't feel salacious. It doesn't feel like it's mean spirit or if it's trying to do any kind of like expose to do anything like that. I think he's just, it's like very Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am reporting so much so that like, he doesn't even really himself speculate. All he does is use quotes that other people have said that they can confirm from his deep background stuff or things that were stated that, you know, that basically give a timeline. So it's not something I would recommend for other people unless they really want to kind of know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, unless you really, if you want like the salacious stuff, then you want to go with the Michael Wolf book or the Omarosa one. But the Woodward one really gives credence to all of the other accusations, including all the newspaper articles that have been written to where it's the point where you can't keep pointing and saying fake news, fake book, liar, liar, liar. You know, because like if 35 people are saying this is what happened 
and there's four different books that are confirming that story multiple times from these different people in different angles of view with other people that have seen the same thing. That's called witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, like, it's kind of confirmed we're all fucking doomed. It's got a death curse! <laughs> like, it really shows just how incompetent and unplanned everything really is. Michael Wolf's stuff hinted at it, but mostly his inside source was Steve Bannon, so I don't know how much you can trust that. Right, you know, and it was fucking Goebbels. Yeah, it was mostly Bannon's perspective for the Michael Wolf book, and Omarosa's stuff was mostly what she was there for in some of her tapes that she had that, you know, she can confirm as well with the actual things that she ended up recording inside the White House, but what we end up getting from these three books, if you kind of synthesize them all down to you know, as close to a factual retelling that you can. Trump literally picks people that are just in the room that are talking about the subject when they try to explain to him what he's doing wrong. He basically tries to pass the buck off onto them, and that's how they end up becoming the leader of the departments that they're in. I guarantee you someday it's going to come out that the reason that Betsy DeVos got picked is because she was trying to talk to him about education to sway him on a certain thing. And he just said, well, why don't you take care of it? You, you should just be in control of it. You know, it's the same thing with like Pruitt and the EPA. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you fucking Aja Peter, whatever the fuck his name is, that fucking asshole that runs the FCC. It was the same thing where he's I like, oh, net, net neutrality is the devil. It's going to destroy businesses. And, you know, Trump's like, you should be in charge. <laughs> We're getting shitty deals from the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Aji Pie. I'm I'm glad Aji I got Pai to probably name, yeah. flip him off at the airport. <laughs> yeah, you said you confirmed it, right? You said his name and he looked at you? Yes. <laughs> so that was enough for me. Ajit Pie. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how shitty you'd feel if it wasn't him and it was just some guy that like has been mistaken for him like a ton of times? It's probably some guy that's like trying to get to his family. He's like, why did I have to be born to look like this asshole? I didn't mean to have this happen. <laughs> He's constantly being berated and assaulted by people who just want a free and open internet. <laughs> well, if at the very least this was his body double decoy, because they were flying out of Washington Dulles, or Ronald Reagan Airport. Washington Dulles was in the movie. He had two assistants. He looked like a douche. He answered to the douche's name. I flipped off his stunt double, possibly. You idiots! These are not them! You've captured their stunt doubles! Search the area! <laughs> uh, it's like that lady that accosted Sean Spicer in a fucking Apple store. <laughs> <laughs> if you would have thought of it, you could have pulled out your smartphone, popped it up on video, and just asked him a bunch of questions about, like why he's a shill for corporations and all of that kind of stuff and seeing if he answered. I could, yeah, I could start my, my YouTube channel. Man <laughs> on the streets. Man on the street. Man on the beat. Beat man. Beat man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reference to uh, Wonder Shows and with the kids kids on the street, kids on the beat, beat kids. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen Wonder Shows and that's like an obscure, weird MTV thing that was actually really cool. It was a fake kids show that uh, they did all this offensive, horrific stuff and it was played late night on MTV and it was just really vile and offensive and, and hilarious. <laughs> it's worth checking out and, and looking for again. It has its moments that are pretty cool. Um, it's around the time of the Bush administration. 
so there was a thing that they did where they had a special guest puppet that was called Middle America, and he talked like Bush, and it was basically all the red states. <laughs> there was some good shit that did it disappear around 9-11 like That's My Bush did. No, um, it was after 9-11. It was definitely after 9-11. It was like the second term Bush is when this appearing. When people got balls again. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're really off topic now. A little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> so back to the back to burn after reading. I it it is sort of like bureaucracy. It is a slightly repetitive movie. You know, like Francis McDermott goes on meets the same meets guys at the same park uh, at the National Mall on those benches, which I, I like. I said I was just there. It is really hard to find an open bench there. So good for her uh, and all her dates that they find their own benches. Is it like inhabited by homeless people just laying on the bench trying to get a nap or something? No, it's just a fuckload of people, tourists and people that work there. Because on all sides of the National Mall, there's just all the museums and a bunch of government buildings. One end, there's uh, the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. And on the other end, there's the Capitol building and all that shit. And in between, it's just a bunch of grass. That's where the fucking Trump rally was. I haven't been to D.C. since the since the uh, first term for Bush, I think. There's a photo of me in my Dead Kennedys Holiday in Cambodia shirt, uh, hopped up by the fence, but not up on top of the fence. Because if you climb on the fence now, they shoot you. You're right. Uh, <laughs> but I was like... Uh, put my arms through the fence and doing a double middle finger the holiday in Cambodia and then a friend of ours who had a longer like was tall and had like really long arms reached through with the camera to get a photo of me doing that through the fence <laughs> I'll have to see if I can find that somewhere <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah Linda Litsky oh by the did you another thing that I noticed just because I was looking for posters to do artwork for this episode but on the movie poster for that movie coming up daisies or whatever the fuck that they're always seeing at the movie theater. Yeah. The poster says the movie was directed by Sam Raimi. Oh, I don't doubt that. No, I didn't notice that, but yeah, they do little winks and nods at each other all the time. I thought that was cool. And then the guy Dermot Mulroney or whatever is the guy that's up next at, uh, the children's book ladies, Seattle appearance near the end, right before, George Clooney loses a shit that even though he's fucked like six women since his wife left for the, her 10 day book tour. <laughs> yeah. In as many days, pretty much. He loses his mind. Cause he thinks he's, he's paranoid about it, but that thing like from uh boondocks, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean we're not out to get you. He's getting followed by the divorce action. And that guy who I know I've seen him in something, but I couldn't tell you what he's like, your name's Tuckman Marsh. <laughs> yeah, because he works for Tuckman Marsh. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing specifically about the Coen brothers. They definitely do a great job of getting a stable of actors that are like that guy actors that you will recognize their faces. And like that lady, they, they reuse their stable of actors quite a bit. And sometimes they do right with certain actors in mind, especially if they're ones that they want to work with. I, I couldn't really see who could, who could play the John Malkovich part better than him. There is no one that could play the John Malkovich part better than John Malkovich, really. Nobody could be Frances McDermott. No, she's perfect for the role. And it's clear that her role was written for her 
And it, I don't think it's just nepotism because she's married to the directors because she doesn't get into every, one of the directors, I should say, because she doesn't get into every one of their films, but you can tell whenever they're writing something to her strengths because this film revolves around her in a way that it really depends on her, much like Fargo does, you know, as the essentially the lead character of both, even though we don't follow her the entire time in both films, that's definitely ensemble cast is something that they're both really good at doing the the Coen brothers as well. But you definitely have like an anchor character in all of their films, whether they're the main character or not. And I think she's the anchor of both this and Fargo. And they had to have written the rest of the stuff that happens around her, particularly in this film. She's the linchpin for all of this and her obsession with getting these surgeries to procure I guess the perfect guy? Is she looking to get married and settle down <laughs> at her advanced years? <laughs> she definitely seems to be, because what the one guy says, you, you got to watch out. These might be just those guys that are cruising the internet. Or And she said, yeah, like me or something like that. Yeah. So maybe she's just looking to, I mean, we don't really know. Maybe she's just that. Maybe she's not looking for a serious relationship. Maybe she's just looking for some sexual healing. I don't know. She's got a tenuous or a loose grip on like a tv imagination of the world her character is definitely seems like she's poorly educated she has a very narrow worldview about how that sort of thing is supposed to work and what it ends up being and how it ends up working out is not anywhere near what she ex actually thinks it's supposed to be she's looking for that hollywood happy ending and it just feels like a like all these bad choices that were made just by not really knowing how the world's going to work for you. I'm trying to think of who the, if there is a good person in this movie, you know, like a sympathetic character. The character of Ted that's the manager of the oh. body works. Yes. He's, just, he's totally in love with her and he's trying to do the right thing by not coming right out and saying it and making it a hostile work environment by telling her. And he's dropping all of these hints that really aren't subtle at all. You know, and he even says to her, too, like, I think you're perfect the way you are. And like, he's really just trying to get her to notice him and she doesn't see him who he is. I, I mean, shit, he broke into a CIA guy's house. Yeah, he was that desperate. I mean, does Ted die? I think Ted dies, right? He gets hatcheted to death. He gets hatcheted to death right before the other, the unknown surveillance person shoots Malkovich. Well, it actually wasn't an unknown surveillance person. It was a standard by that just couldn't stand there and let that happen. Oh, I thought he said our man. Our guy thought he should step in. No, he... it wasn't. He said it was a it was a passerby that decided to step in because their man just let it happen and then shot him. <laughs> and that guy came up and shot him. That's what I thought anyway. Maybe huh. I misheard him, but that's what I thought that uh, David Rash is the CIA officer that was reporting all the time. The guy from fucking Sledgehammer in this movie, folks. Okay, so the gym manager is dead. Yes, sir. The body is... Uh, that's gone, sir. Okay. Uh, but there was a, um, snag. What? Well, um, this uh, analyst, Cox, was attacking the gym guy. Um, it was in broad daylight on the street. Our man uh, did not know what to do, felt he had to step in. Yes. He, um... He shot the analyst. He shot Cox. Good. Great. Is he dead? No, sir. He's in a coma. Um, 
They don't think he's going to make it. They, 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 don't, they don't think. They're pretty sure that he has no, uh, no brain function. Okay, okay. If he wakes up, we'll worry about it then. I'm trying to think of any other characters. I guess Chad Pitt is not necessarily a bad guy. He's just dumb and easily excitable and just goes for it, even though he knows that he's making really dumb choices. I feel like he knows he's doing stupid things. Like when he gets in the car and gets punched in the face by John Malkovich's character, you know, when the guy's like not going to pay him and he just fucking punches him. And yeah. at that point, he kind of realizes, holy shit, I'm in over my head. But Frances McDermott is, you know, her character Linda is just so like obsessed with getting the money for these surgeries because once she fixes everything that's wrong with her, quote unquote, wrong with her on the outside, it'll automatically fix everything that's wrong with her on the inside. <laughs> Which is how so many people think, you know? They think that that's how it's going to be. Uh, I guess we could probably get to the death of Chad Pitt. Oh, man. I'm not going to lie. Probably watched that three times in a row. I watched it twice today. <laughs> did you... So, like, were you watching the movie and then you backed it up and watched it twice while watching the movie? Or did you just go back to that scene and watch it twice later on? No, it was it was backed up. Something about it. It's You just want to see every second of it and see all the details because it's so quick. Plus, it's also fun to watch Brad Pitt get his brains blown out. Yeah, with that stupid grin he's got when he opens a door. Wait, I I don't, I, I guess it's a you got me sort of fucking look. <laughs> we were talking about it earlier, but I think that scene really kind of equates and shows the the just complete distancing of reality and, and the gravity of the situation that you're in. He's in someone's home for no reason at all that he cannot explain. And yet he's in a closet hiding and he thinks when the door opens up, it's time to smile, not be scared. George Clooney's reaction is how anybody would react. You would say, what the fuck? And then you attack the person in the closet. And then you fall down the stairs and then you... <laughs> Hopefully you don't drop your gun like he did, but... That's not the right way. Uh, <laughs> that's not the right way to deal with it. But like, you know, the, the time that I was passed out on my couch in the basement and Matt woke me up and I didn't recognize him, like I was reaching for a weapon until I recognized him. <laughs> The gnome stick. Yeah, yeah. He almost got he he almost got tagged hardcore with the gnome stick. It almost happened. He'll think twice about it now. And I actually and the same things like where George Clooney is like, "What the fuck?" and then he shoots him. That's basically how it happens when you're that startled and you're like, "Who the fuck are you and why the fuck are you in my house?" <laughs> or in this case, his lover's house because he's playing some weird fantasy world. Do you think he was just gonna let that play out till his wife was about to come back, or? I mean, he was let, he was what, like living with her or her thinking that he was going to be committed with her or cause he, they were obviously having the affair before his wife left. Yeah. They've been sleeping together for a while. And he does say when they're like, uh, they, they were having sex on the boat that, uh, John Malkovich's character goes to live on when he's kicked out of the house. And he does mention something where they're talking about it. And I think she's like actually playing it that lunch that they had together, like, we should get divorced and then remarry to each other, I think is what she was hinting at. And he's not really paying attention to her because he's a self-absorbed narcissist. Yeah, he's thinking about his run. Yeah, essentially. And so he kind of leads her into thinking that they'll be together if they get a divorce. And then I think she wants to do that as well. I, I honestly think that in some weird, twisted way, he actually does love and need his wife. He just wants to sleep around. Like, if they would just be honest with each other about it, maybe they could have had, like, an open relationship. And when she's on the road, she can be on the road, if you know what I'm saying. And when she's on the road, he can go on the road, too, if you know what I mean. And I think you do. Because he did build that special chair. 
in the basement. I, I don't know if that's the type of thing you surprise someone with if they're not into some kinky shit or if they're not sexually explorative, at least. Well, in order to ride a homemade fuck chair, you would have to at least be somewhat sexually open and able to explore. I, I think he's building that more or less just to see if he can, you know? <laughs> and maybe maybe it is supposed to be a surprise for his wife when she gets home. But I always remembered seeing Francis McDermott, McDermott actually riding that thing. Is that just something I made up in my brain that like she chests the chair out for him? She, well, it might have been off screen. He takes her to the house and shows it to her, but she's still standing there fully clothed. But she says something like, that looks wonderful or something like that. And then it cuts to the next day. He does move the chair so it starts the thrusting motion. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, that's really cool. And that's when he does the thing about how he wanted to mold his own cock, but he's not ready yet. <laughs> right. He was going to make a mold of his own for his wife to be able to ride that is what he was getting at. Him and his fucking little thin gold chain necklace. <laughs> yeah. But he I... says your present is ready when he calls her and trying, trying to get her to come back. So I don't know. He was going to give it to her. And that's why he destroys it when Tuckman she Marsh... Goes... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he finds out that he's going to get divorced. And I'm still not 100% sure that the divorce is... I, I'm I'm not even 100% sure that his wife specifically is doing the divorce thing until after the dinner party. It feels like that got put into place because of the, the dinner party thing. And perhaps maybe the thing that was like a dog whistle for her to let her know that she needed to do it is maybe she found out that tilda swinton's character was filing you know maybe it got through the grapevine and there was rumors about that paper being served so she went away and while she was out of town she was basically setting him up for you know the infidelity excuse or whatever else she was going to do as well it seemed like it was in the preliminary investigative part because that guy was so shitty at surveillance that there's no way he could have done that for too long before what happened happened because Clooney's paranoid. He thinks everybody's out to get him. He thinks, well, he thinks he's the most important person in the room. Well, yeah, he's a real narcissist, and it's clear. I mean, he does. You don't. You don't behave in the manner of a man who sleeps around in such extent like this guy does, without being that kind of level of narcissist. He's oddly obsessed with floor wood, also. I think it's just he's obsessed with like building, and because of all of the tools and stuff that he has, it's probably a home improvement thing. And it might have been a keeping up with the Joneses moment of, that's really nice floor work. I want to do that in my house. What is that? You know, so he can copy it or whatever. A lot of this takes place in Georgetown, the swanky part of DC. Well, I mean, his wife is an extremely successful children's author. Um, she's had several books. And if she's doing daytime TV book tours across the country, she's obviously the breadwinner in that family. And I, Tilda Swinton's character is a doctor, right? She's a pediatrician? Yep. So she's probably the breadwinner there. I don't think that the government work, while their salaries probably aren't that bad, I don't think that both John Malkovich's character and then the U.S. Marshal's salary that uh, Looney's character is working on is anything compared to that of a pediatrician in the D.C. area is capable of creating, let alone a children's author who can do those successful book tours like that. I mean, you don't really even have to be a good author to be 
like a successful children's author, you know, I get and I'm not trying to diss children's novels or, you know, the, the writers of that kind of work. It's just that, you know, you don't, it's short plot structures and it's really kind of hit or miss on whether or not there's Dear too God. many children, let alone too many children's books. <laughs> I think it's really a, a kind of funny that like it's religions that are essentially pushing the idea of have more kids, have more kids. Cause they need to have people raised in that religion in this day and age in order to dupe people into it. It's not like it used to be, you know, just a little bit of quick research and you can kind of find out, Hey, uh, you don't really need to believe any of this. Yeah. They got to pad their numbers <laughs> somehow. Right. Speaking of which, speaking of the religious right and the evangelicals and shit who want everybody to believe a 2000 year old book saying, oh, I don't know if we can believe someone's recount of something that happened 30 years ago. <laughs> oh, it's convenient how morality is so fluid whenever you need to push your own specific agenda on how to control, say, a woman's body. <laughs> Isn't it, though? I mean, they want this judge because they know for sure if they put him in there, then they've got a shot at overturning Roe versus Wade and telling a woman what she can and cannot do with her own sexual health. And it's really fitting that a accused rapist was appointed by a self-described sexual assaulter to do just that and take away ladies' rights over their own dominion of their bodies. <laughs> like, oh, you think it's okay to sexually assault women and you think presidents are above the law? You've got my vote. <laughs> you had me at hello. <laughs> yeah. You had, yeah. Oh, the fucking boys club. They all fucking suck. They've all, you know, like, uh, was it Chuck Grassley that said, I'd, I'd hate for you to judge me by what I did fucking 30 years ago. And I think 30 years ago, he was voting against making Martin Luther King Day a holiday. Oh, that so fits for him. You know, was he from Iowa? I can't remember where all these shit shitheads are fucking from but when like six six people on the senate judiciary panel recently voted against reauthorizing the violence against women act and there are no women on the judiciary panel and yeah it's um a really kind of disgusting time to be paying attention to what's going on uh i kind of I'm a little bit jealous of the people that are able to still stick their head in the sand and not pay attention to this stuff. Before things started going this direction and before Trump kind of took office, on one of my earliest appearances with you, actually the very first episode of this show when we did Turk 182, I remember discussing it with you and I was talking about how my political philosophy was all about personal freedoms and it's like, just don't step on my blue suede shoes. You know, don't step on other people's personal freedoms. And this entire administration policy seems to be geared towards taking everything regressing it back to 1940s not even 1950s just like i mean like if they could do it they would probably end women's suffrage <laughs> the child labor laws and it really feels like that's what they're going for it's like just disgusting and i feel like it's like this last brazen money and power grab for these guys that they know these old fucking white dudes that just know that their time has come and they're just these fussy little children that are refusing to being put to bed. And the more and more this stuff goes on and the way that the Republican party just keeps doubling and tripling down and putting all their eggs in a basket behind Trump, it just kind of makes you wonder how much of this Russia thing they might've been involved with too. Like 
how much all of them were actually aware of it. Like McConnell, even and even Paul Ryan and all these guys that are like calling it quits at the end of this particular term and they just want to walk away. I think they're trying to basically cut and run. I wouldn't be surprised if as more and more of this stuff comes out, more and more of the Republican Party is even getting indicted. And that's why they're all fighting tooth and claw. I mean, if it was about protecting the nation, you think they would want the truth to come out regardless of what it is. But it feels more like a not even a boys club. It feels like a bunch of organized criminals basically just doing whatever they can to cover up and hide the witnesses and find loopholes and get lawyers that will get them out of whatever it is that they did. And like the conspiracy that they're doing behind this fits so well with this movie because it is just bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. Meanwhile, the CIA is sitting back and looking at all this, just going, all right, so what have we learned here? We learned not to let this happen again. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. It so feels like that's what's going on. It just really feels like this is probably like all of these, you know, I don't want to just use the term deep state, but like the CIA, the FBI, and all of these organizations that are part of the intricate part of our government that has to do with upholding the law and doing some of the seedy shit that keeps the country going and dealing with foreign agents and all of that kind of stuff, like the spies and all of that kind of thing. It feels to me like all of the stupid idiotic things that these politicians have gotten away with and what they ended up doing, even though they didn't really get away with it, it's just basically mounting the evidence and putting the, putting everything together. It just really feels like they're all just kind of sitting back on, do we really just elect a president who probably paid hookers to pee on a bed just because the black guy slept there? <laughs> Can you imagine being in those meetings and having to discuss that? Like how, how do they even deal with it? Like how many disenfranchised guys and gals that are working in these departments and they're higher up have to resign because of how disenfranchised they feel because of the lackluster (laughs) way that their whole like life has been basically taken and stripped of all of its meaning from having these people in office like (laughs) how much more of this has to go on how much more ridiculous and over the over the top are we going to get with these things how many more breaking revelations of unprecedented horrible shit bombshell yeah the bombshell unprecedented horrible shit that this congress and this president are gonna pull off before like somebody just like fucking uprises and says enough like how much more of this are we gonna have to put up with (laughs) i think however the the uh the midterm election goes something is gonna be it's gonna be amplified like Chad Pitt's iPod headphones when he's running on the on the treadmill. It's <laughs> whether whether the GOP maintains their stranglehold. Well, I don't know. There's some major benefits in my mind from in the at least the policies of the the Dem party since we can't have a functional multi-party system yet over the republicans i mean they both largely we can't even have a functional bipartisan government (laughs) we can't have two branches of government that work true true whether the dems take the majority and get their you know subpoena power and everything like that or the republicans who give no fucks already fuck it was the republicans that told nixon he needed to resign there's no fucking way that's going to happen today. Well, there's, I think, 
uh, it goes back to what I was saying before. The Republicans that told Nixon that he needed to resign, I don't think it went that deep to where it was in, Congress was involved as well. I think the dark money that was flowing into these, like, you know, from the super PACs and all this other stuff that was kind of happening where you didn't have to keep track of where this money was coming from, I would not be shocked to find out that the bulk of the GOP had something to do with it, especially the stuff that was being funneled through the NRA to them as well. I think they did it. I think they knowingly did it. And I think they're fucking terrified of what's going to happen. And they're not only slow walking it, they're trying everything they can do to discredit the investigation before it gets around to them as well. Because you know what's going to happen. I mean, if and when it actually gets pointed out to whatever horrible shit that they can actually pin on Trump, the first thing he's going to do whenever he knows that he's going down is start giving them everybody and anybody that was involved in any way, shape, or form outside of his administration to get any kind of reduced sentence that he possibly can. It's called flipping, and it almost ought to be illegal. Oh, yeah. He, he's going to turn on all of them, because he's already doing that. He's already turning on people that just slightly disappoint him. I mean, like, if you go all the way back, we were talking about Woodward's book earlier. One of the things that Woodward's book really does very cautiously is not say anything or point out anything that may have to do with Trump actually involved in the actual parts that they seen you've seen in other stories where he was involved in the obstruction of justice stuff unless it was something like an interview that they can then quote from like on the NBC or anything like that uh the Woodward book completely glosses over and skips that whole plot on Air Force One how they were going to do the spin and damage control for Trump Jr. releasing all of the emails and all of that from when he had made that tower meeting and all of that kind of stuff. It's not in Woodward's book at all. And it almost feels like Woodward was trying to not point any of that stuff out. <laughs> but there's like articles about it. There are reporters that were on Air Force One when that happened that they didn't get shooed off. You know, <laughs> there's people that were there and saw it. Why didn't Woodward talk about it in his book? I did like how he said, oh, all you people that are denying you said these things, I'm happy to release my tapes if you give me permission. <laughs> right i thought that was a a nice move well it's the same thing with like uh all the stuff that they were trying to deny for when omarosa was being interviewed that was like so much it was so petty for me to enjoy that and i knew i was being petty but at the same time it was nice to see someone who learned at the feet of donald trump turn his own tactics against him you know because she's not really any better than him with that kind of stuff she's just a reality tv star as well she made her whole career off of the stuff but the thing is in her book when she talks about that stuff she freely admits it you know she knows what she did for her career and how she did it. and she does admit that she bought into the trumperism horse shit and it wasn't until these later years of being in the white house that like her view of him actually was changed and she kind of realized or maybe just kind of opened her eyes to the fact that she was denying the horrible things that were happening. While it can be stated that Michael Wolff is essentially a, you know, gossip columnist with glorifications behind him, you know, I don't really know what else to call him because he never really seems to be able to write an article that doesn't get disputed in some way, shape or form or have some kind of retraction that gets printed later. I mean, he's yeah. got a record for that kind of stuff. But even his book, when he was going against stuff, it's in his, I'm tying it all back here. Like his book, when he was getting all of these different things where people were supposedly going to sue him or try and say that they didn't say those sort of things, 
he said the same thing as Woodward and so did Omarosa. And Omarosa even had fucking tapes of stuff when they were like, well, that's not how you got fired. You were blah, blah, blah. And then she had the tape and it was played on the fucking news. I mean, that shit was funny to see happen. This particular White House is so obsessed with hiding its secrets and trying to not really be upfront about all the nefarious, horrible shit that it's doing, like channeling cancer research money into the concentration camps for the brown kids down south because they're from Mexico and they're bad hombres because they're illegal or <laughs> whatever general excuse they're going to come up with for putting kids in concentration camps. I mean, the HIV, cancer research, and whatever else funds are they? FEMA, even they're channeling yeah. funds from that. From and FEMA, the hurricane react or response funds, and something else, something about something for disabled people or uh, like a Medicaid, maybe or something. They're some, shaking funds from that, maybe. The the opposite of imprisoning young children. Those things. But yeah, the the main the big ones were FEMA can children's cancer and uh, hiv regardless of whatever political sway that you have i want to know how you justify taking money away from research that could possibly bring about the cure for cancer and better the life of not only every american but possibly every human being on earth how do you justify funneling money from that into imprisoning any child regardless of your racial disparity that you may have against them like how can in your brain how do you justify that what level of fucking villainy can you live on that you think that that's okay it's like the ultimate libertarianism where they're like i got mine fuck you <laughs> literally like i got my 80 years in i don't care what you get even if you are my great grandchild Fuck you, make your own 3D printed gun and... Oh, Christ, we haven't even talked about that, asshole. All right, we were, we were talking about, uh, was it Grassley who said that he was uh, terrified or, you know, was worried about what he may have done 30 years ago that could possibly be used against him? You know, you know people who don't have to worry about that? People who have never committed sexual assault in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. People who understand the concept of consent? I mean, like, I'm thinking about all of the scenarios when I was a kid and all of the different encounters that I've had over the years of just various whatever sexual things that may have come up. And I can't remember a time where I didn't make sure, not essentially every step of the way, but like made sure that whatever was happening was okay with everybody involved. I usually like, ask if it's cool, like so many times that I'm told to shut up. <laughs> right right like like this and, is cool you're all right with this yes and like i i mean i used to get i used to get some shit from some friends of mine about how i was quote-unquote sexually non-threatening to women and i'm like how is that a bad thing <laughs> you're such you know? a nice guy dick <laughs> you know because i had friends that were female that their parents literally would trust me to spend the night at their house because they knew i was just a friend and I wasn't going to try and do anything sexually with that daughter. That was an okay thing. Even my parents were kind of like, no, we, we trust you, it's okay. Let alone those those girls as well. I mean, and I'm not talking like, this wasn't like a super regular occurrence, but the few times that it had happened in my teenage years, they felt safe with me. They felt like I wasn't gonna do anything. They They knew that I was okay. And at the time I was kind of like, yeah, I guess this is a little odd, isn't it? But. What's so fucking odd about that? What's it, odd about that is I wasn't the asshole that girls were going to think I was going to try something if that was around. 
you know that's that's the thing that's odd about it well that's that's fucked in reverse if you catch my drift it shouldn't feel odd that a platonic relationship can exist like that whole scenario with mike pence and his whole won't have a meal with any woman other than his wife like what's gonna happen like she's gonna drop the napkin in a certain way and you accidentally trip slip and fall and stick your penis in her like it's a lunch for fuck's sake other people are around or is he crazy religious where, you know, he sends his wife to the menstruation tent every month? <laughs> or I just don't understand the idea that that excuse of, oh, I just can't control myself. You basically just don't. <laughs> it's very easy for you to just not do something. You just don't. I've been totally hammered on many different kinds of drugs around many various attractive women. You know, when I run for city council or president. In a couple of years, because uh, somebody's got to beat Michael Avenatti, um, <laughs> they'll do my background check. But yeah, getting fucked up around women doesn't make you a rapist. Being a rapist does. Yeah, I think getting fucked up gives you an excuse to say that it was this. And it was I've seen various uh, like the argumentative tweet thing back and forth. And I saw one that got turned into a meme that I thought was really interesting where the excuse is it's not his fault that he sexually assaulted this woman. She was drunk. And then it was, he was drunk. It's not his fault that he sexually assaulted that sober woman. It's yeah. her fault that she was drunk, but it's his fault that she she didn't want him when he was drunk or whatever it is. It, it Yeah, the fucking double standard. And it's, I know we're not saying anything that nobody's heard before. And I'm happy that I don't seem to be losing listeners because a lot of the time it is the same shit, different day going on. <laughs> I miss the days when a government fuck up was the same thing for a week or a month. Every day there's something new that is, and they need to stop reporting it as unprecedented. They need to pro start reporting it as a new all time low Trump presidency, a new all time low for the things that they're doing, because that's what they are. And maybe I'm a little bit biased, but everybody talks about how, you know, all of the sensationalizing, the media sensationalizing stuff. It's like, for me, it feels like a lot of these places are just kind of reporting it straight. If you feel like it's a sensationalized thing, maybe it's because it's so horrifically unbelievable that you just don't want to believe that this fucker is in charge. It still feels to me like Marty McFly really fucked up and the wrong book got into the wrong hands and then docked it and go back and fix it. <laughs> this is the darkest timeline, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! God. <laughs> My advice to you is to start smoking the marijuanas very heavily to get through this for the next month and a half. My intake has increased, allegedly. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to fucking do. I'm just going to have to start like mainlining Prozac or something. It's so weird. It's only been two years. <laughs> but it's been two unbelievably horrible years. It's just an all new low every fucking day. It's never let up. It's just been constant shock and awe of horrific, horrible shit to the point where any semblance of normalcy can actually be celebrated. It's like those before and after pictures. You know how when someone gets elected and then it shows them four years later or eight years later, they look like they're 20 years older. That's yeah. happening to us. Like we, we are his portrait of Dorian Gray. Essentially, yeah, he's aging all of us exponentially while he fucking goes on golf on our dime like every other weekend or every fucking weekend. Every fucking day, dude, it's an all new low. 
every fucking day. And I've got so much fatigue from it. Like, I can't even bitch about it anymore. Like, I can't even just read the articles anymore where I'm like, oh, yeah, of course they're doing that. Like, you see a headline where it's like, you know, uh, Trump decides to put to death 50,000 people. I'm like, of course he does. You know, like, I, I can't even I can't even deal with it anymore. And that's exactly what he wants. He wants us to be so worn out and so tired of fighting it all and being outraged by it that we just let him do what he wants to do. All the other shock and all and all the other crazy shit that he's doing, he's still getting away with all the horrible things that they're doing with the fucking concentration camps. We still have concentration camps in America on American soil for trespassing. Yeah, they they <laughs> lost another 15,000 ki- 1500 kids that they had and, placed with fosters. And the border patrol agents that are there, I mean, the people that are being attracted to these facilities where the concentration camps there's reports of sexual abuse happening to these children and there was that serial killer one that serial killer border agent yeah what is it five women and only one got away and it was just enough to get him caught and they're suspecting him of even more than five i think and he was like a manager (laughs) well of course he is (laughs) (laughs) we don't know we we like your style fucking trump's gonna pardon him anyway he's gonna get away with it Oh, do you think he's going to pardon Cohen? He's going to try to. Speaking a little bit of burn after reading, a little bit of real world, we pick burn after reading because of the real world. Everybody's fucking each other. They're all bumbling through and trying to cover their own asses. <laughs> By the end of it, everybody is fucking dead or has lost their career or is just confused as to what's going on. And the middle-aged lady who all she wanted to do was get surgery to alter herself to try and be more attractive so that she can pick up on more guys gets exactly what she wanted while everybody died for it for her to get that. What, J.K. Simmons utters the last words, I think, of the movie was, what, Jesus fucking Christ? Or something like that? Which is exactly what I've been saying every goddamn day whenever my news feed pops up and it's yet another all-time low of something (laughs) unprecedented. (laughs) If I had a nickel for every time I've had to say Jesus fucking Christ over the last two goddamn years, Darren, I could retire. (laughs) You could buy a congressperson. (laughs) I wouldn't even need to buy a congressperson. I could just invest it in like a Vanguard S&P 500 index and just live off the fucking dividends or whatever. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. That's what a clusterfuck, as J.K. Simmons says in the movie. And, And what have we learned from all of this, folks? Never let this happen again, which you think we would have learned the first time around when it was the Holocaust and Hitler and all the Nazis, but they came back on us because we weren't paying attention. I keep saying this, the optimist that hasn't totally died inside me keeps waiting for that Newton's third law equal and opposite reaction. Well, that is kind of happening. Look at the rise of the Democratic Socialist candidates that are becoming extremely popular. Look at the activism that is happening. And I hate to say it, but it seems like when it comes to politics for the longest time, the biggest demographic that kind of seems to really ignore everything that's happening is also the one that tends to be the least involved in what's happening to them. And that, that seems to be minorities and women. And they're waking up, man. They're, they're looking at what's going on. They're getting involved. And how many candidates are now female for all of these governorships and, and Congress and Senate seats and like Senate and House seats and uh, local Senate and House seats. Uh, we have more trans people that are bego- becoming involved in politics and taking back and fighting with a voice. If we can just get 
enough people that realize that all we really need to do is just follow the main golden rule of don't be an asshole. Don't be a dick to each other. Just let people have space and be free, man. Like, that's what this country is supposed to be, right? I mean, it's supposed to be all about freedom. It's also supposed to be about not stepping on everybody's blue suede shoes. Stop legislating everybody else's fucking life, you know? Like, if someone wants to be somebody that they want to be, let them be that person. Like, uh, the way that people are trying to disparage the gay community and the trans community and all of that different stuff, and they're trying to find ways to remove whatever equality they've scraped and fought to gain under the last eight years before this, working so hard to undo it ever so slightly and piece by piece. And they're trying to undo all of the equality that has gone on for minorities as well. And they're trying to drag it back. They're trying to regress it and turn back the clock on all of these different things. And I don't think it's going to just work out for them. I think the people that are like, hey, wait a minute. I slept under the last eight years because I thought Obama was going to fix it all, but now you're trying to take this away? I think a lot of people that just kind of let 2016 happen and flow over them, I think they're looking, man. I think they're awake. I I, I mean, it's there's, you know, the, the poll numbers or anything and the, the way that this country's turning around with some of these other smaller candidates, you know, it, it could be there. It's just, you know, can we keep Kavanaugh off the fucking chair? <laughs> can that happen in some way shape or form will the november elections turn things around enough to where at least the opposite of whatever the gop has become whether it's democrats or this new democratic socialist movement that's happening or this far left swing that's happening in the country if if some of these people can pick up seats can they kind of force a moment to allow the investigation to happen and move forward and not be hindered like it has been uh you know can this actually happen is this going to shake out and, you know, the, the Mueller investigation just within this summer moved more in, what, three, four months than it did for the whole entire first year after it got created. And it hasn't even been going as long as the Watergate investigation was going. And it's paid for itself with the fucking shit Manafort Had gave to, up or whatever. Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, the forfeiting, the forfeitures of his property, yeah. And it's so fucked up that he gave up eight properties and he still has some. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, reprehensible people, like Burn After Reading, just totally removed from the day-to-day -day with their ostrich fucking coats. Or, <laughs> yeah, the young people are getting involved. And that's one thing that I have noticed. And I do not give Trump credit because he's not trying to do any of that. I don't want to be like Susan Sarandon and be like, you got to give him credit. It's like, no, he, despite his hardest effort, people are doing good things. Well, are we even going to buy into that whole I am part of the resistance inside the administration? Because if you read that op-ed, it sure seems like, no, what you're trying to say is you don't trust this guy, but as long as he serves your purpose, you'll let him do whatever you want him to do to serve your purpose. Yeah, fuck them, because they're like, he's doing all these wonderful things for our border and for our economy. It's like, oh, <laughs> so you probably are Mike Pence. <laughs> or it was Stephen Miller. <laughs> Oh, fucking alt-right Gargamel strikes again. I just, I feel like something's got to shake loose at some point because, I mean, we're really getting to the point where I don't know if the country could get any more divided than what it already is without another civil war kind of happening. But I don't think it's going to be one of those kind of violent civil war kind of things. I think it's going to just end up becoming something way 
way more like Cold War version of that, you know, where it's not really even bipartisan or like partisan politics kind of thing. It's going to end up being like there'll have to be a movement of people that really want to get away from the kind of filth politics that we've been in and the whole drain the swamp horse shit that people have been trying to say since the Tea Party came up with that idea of reducing government. I think that that's going to come to bite them in the ass, you know, because eventually they're going to be like, oh, I thought you wanted to reduce government. I thought you wanted to get rid of the swamp. So why are you still not voting on it being okay for this to be gotten rid of for the slush funds that you've got set up with your dark money? Why won't you eliminate super PACs? Why won't you eliminate all this other stuff? You know, it's like, when when are people going to start using that shit against them? We've started to see a few Democrats here and there doing their grandstanding thing. I mean, you know, like reading things that they're not supposed to read to get it out there on the record that this is what Kavanaugh actually is. This is what's being redacted and hidden, you know, emails and various things like that that are being stated out there. I mean, everybody trying anything and everything to not be silenced and get the information out there that's trying to be hidden. And if you're trying to get a judiciary confirmed to a lifetime appointment, what stuff are you trying to hide so much? Like, why would you have to do that? You want to appoint someone that's supposed to be a good judge, not just pushing someone through who mysteriously had all of their debt disappeared because they promised to make you above the law and king of America. The recoil from Kavanaugh is totally justified in my mind and also reminds me, well, I don't remember this happening, but I remember reading about it The when Reagan tried to get Robert Bork on the Supreme Court. There's never been a justice, you know, Justice Bork. So we know how that turned out. People protested. People raged. And I I have occasionally, usually on Twitter or something like that, because most of the people that have drastically different views than I have don't talk to me anymore. Um, <laughs> That's one thing that has come really well out of this is I've really been able to isolate the people that may at one point in time been white supremacists, white nationalists, or sympathizers to that cause and eliminate them by daily posting something, well not daily, but occasionally posting something of a Nazi being beaten in the head with a baseball bat or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been oh, able to find yeah. those those people that were at one point in time acquaintances or friends or something along those lines, or even family members, sadly, that I've been able to eliminate from any kind of social media interaction and lifetime interaction from there. But Robert Bork and Kavanaugh and yeah, um, somebody was saying, somebody was telling Vice, they were complaining about Kavanaugh not getting due process, which is guaranteed under the constitution. He's not- He's not on a criminal trial. This is a yeah. goddamn job interview. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there, but Jesus Christ, man. That, it had to be said. It doesn't matter which one of us said it. <laughs> if I get accused of something even slightly as nefarious as the things that have been coming out about this man during the process of a job interview when they're doing background checks for me, I'm not getting that goddamn job. I'm not I, I don't get to say I deserve this job. I'm the most qualified applicant and so-and-so is recommending me for the job. Uh, due process. You say that, they're going to burn after reading Laugh in Your Face like the CIA guys that are like, wait, what? The Russians? <laughs> the Russians. <laughs> and that's the funniest part about covering Burn After Reading because you know 
the whole thing about him being in the pocket of the Russians, you know those guys when they're reading the dossier going, the Russians? Uh, what did we learn? We could probably go on forever about bumbling government agencies and bureaucracies and selfish people, but... <laughs> We're going to have to cut it off now because if we don't, we're just going to go on and on and get even more depressed and need antidepressants to cope with the last two years and who knows how much of this we have left. Yeah. Let's just hope it's only two months. <laughs> we'll, we'll check back in. I know we might be doing another episode on uh, like Distinguished Gentlemen or something like that. Yeah, so, we were kind of around. Planning, yeah, yeah, we were kind of planning that. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it work out. We were hoping to do something like a crossover for that. Um, if we can make it work, I know your schedule is pretty flexible, so it's just a matter of whether or not I can, uh, I can get my shit together to be able to do that. But that's going to be around the time of, uh, the upcoming midterms is what we're looking to try and do that for. So we'll, we'll save it for the tournament. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's uh that's a great thing to do around midterms. Cause we're talking about people squeaking by on name recognition and, uh, all of the slush money and dark money and all the horrible things that Congress does in the name of getting their slush fund campaign stuff that they get to keep whenever they retire. But before we have JK Simmons ask us one final time, what did we learn here? <laughs> yeah, that's how you should end it. It's just that clip. We've already said that you are the infamous court psyops <laughs> pedal your wares, sir. Okay. Now I'm going to try and start doing this. when I do guest appearances on other shows, I need to start with, my lesser known but way sexier podcast of obsessive cinema discourse available on the fine legion podcast network that all of our shows including your own here are available at legionpodcast.com and it's obsessive cinema discourse myself the witch from down under and the boz from overseas in the uk you can't get us any more spaced out on the planet than what we already are i don't think you can get us any further apart yeah, I think if you went any further west, you would be closer to which. Which is time, time frame, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's how it works, man. We're like exactly the right like third distance away from each other. But it ends up being that we each get a pick. Um, we cycle out, so there's three different people picking. So we kind of get four movies a year. The schedule hasn't worked out that way because it's kind of a whenever we can do it, we do the show because we're doing it just for the love of it and for the fun of it. And basically just so the three of us can get together and flirt on a mic. <laughs> <laughs> But we pick a movie that one of us has seen or one of us wants to talk about, and we just really rip it apart, dig into it, look at every little detail that we can obsess over and kind of point out various things. But we do it lovingly as a movie fan would, where we're like, hey, did you notice that, that you could see the zipper there on the, the kaiju costume in that scene or something like that? And it's just kind of like, it wasn't that cool, you know? And then you have fun with it. And despite all of its flaws, you talk about why you love the movie and everything. That's obsessive cinema discourse. Most people are probably going to know me from my main flagship show, which is Cinema PsyOps. Uh, that's available on the Amazing Legion Podcast Network as, all, as well. Uh, you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher, just like you can Obsessive Cinema Discourse as well. If you Google either of these shows, hopefully it's going to pop up. But I know for sure that Cinema PsyOps pops up. If you just kind of like do cinema and then space on iTunes, if you're searching an Apple podcast, I've noticed that we're like the fourth or fifth entry on the search now. So we're doing okay. Nice. <laughs> it was that way a little while ago. I don't know. We might have gotten pushed down by like a, who knows, maybe some celebrity fronted cinema names that took over. But uh, we've been doing really well since we've got on Legion podcast. We're looking to try and do something to kind of give back to the Legion podcast. We kind of announced it on the show. 
Uh, it has to do with the Legion podcast Patreon stuff to help pay for the hosting and everything. Uh, Matt and I are going to start doing commentaries on some of the comedy movies that we love to talk about, but we never actually cover on the show because we just can't get around to them. And also, it doesn't really fit with our aesthetic. So, I mean, we're looking to probably be covering some Doug Kenny stuff in the future. So, like, Caddyshack and uh, Animal House and that kind of thing. Probably going to do Major League because, God, I don't think a fucking week goes by that we don't quote something from Major League at some point. Especially Bob Euchre from Major League. <laughs> right. Yeah, anytime things go a little off board, it's always, just a bit outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's those are my two main shows and uh, still very happy to do them. And of course, I guest all the time. You can hear me on Legion podcast shows. I guest off network every now and then, but I try to keep it in the family because I am from the Appalachia. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that might need a, a rim shot soundbite put in. Only Say, if you actually record you doing the rim shot on your own drums. <laughs> I can do that now. Yeah, my... you, should tell the, you should tell the people about that. You should do another State of the Union address coming up soon where you tell them about your new studio that you've been building. Yeah, it's, it's still it's still like the the other the second Death Star, but <laughs> it's, it's relatively operational. <laughs> I fully assure you that this podcast studio is fully operational. Download my show and I will be even more powerful than before. Yeah, and while you're at it, download my shows too. <laughs> yes, download his shows multiple times. From different devices. <laughs> yep. On all your devices. Your backup phone that you use to watch porn on, Alex Jones. <laughs> well, I don't, know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but our podcast actually floods his phones. People are just <laughs> sending it to him that just floods his phones. He's a crisis actor. <laughs> if that's your real name, Alex Jones. <laughs> Osborne Cox. <laughs> I assume That's where you're... you cut it off. That's <laughs> where you cut it off. Just Osborne Cox. Just stop there. It's perfect. <laughs> or in the sage-like words of J.K. Simmons. Well, before we get to J.K. Simmons, I want to thank you, dude. Thank you for ranting and raving with me. Well, it's the only show where I get to really be let off the chain because I'm actually pretty reserved on my show because I have to be the straight man to match craziness. You can be as spirally as you want to be here yeah dude thank you thank you everybody for listening i've got a pretty good idea what the next episode's going to be but you never fucking know something might come up so i don't want to say it as fast as shit changes who knows so it'll <laughs> probably be a movie about the clarence thomas clarence thomas hearings because that's all getting paralleled again with the way the government treats women who accuse powerful men of doing shitty things and while you're out there, folks, in all of the women that are in your life, just look them deep in the eyes and apologize for oh, all of creation that we have done to screw up the lives that they've given us. Just just apologize to all of them. They deserve better than us. Thank you, ladies, for listening. And we're deeply, deeply sorry for everything. Until next time, fuck Ajit Pai and the FCC. I hope you're not concerned about the security of your shit. Don't let them take you to a second location. Duck and cover. JK, take us out. Jesus fucking Christ. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Yes, sir. I'm fucked if I know what we did. Yes, sir. It's uh, hard to say.
Taking away your name. 